Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can follow me under AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. And we have a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films judgment free. My only rule is keep it positive. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. Uh, it helps new people find and listen to this show. And if you leave a positive review, you are entered to win a $20 gift card of a movie theater chain of your choice. And I will draw once we get to 30 reviews. Right now we're at about 23. Um, I also want to plug really quick that coming up soon is Dallas Video Fest 31st uh, presents the final series of its 31st season with Alternative Fiction Fest, or Alt Fiction for short. Uh, it features dozens of narrative features, TV-focused episodes, and short films uh, during four days, February 7th through 10th, on one screen at one theater at the Angelica Film Center, uh, which is in Dallas on 5321 East Mockingbird Lane. You can find out some more information on videofest.org. Just so you know, uh, festival badges are $50, or you can book individual film block tickets for $10. So check it out. Those events are so fun. Um, I've been to a few of them myself, and yeah, it's not something you want to miss. So I also have a new guest with us here today. I have Debbie. Say hi, Debbie. Hello. Hey, Debbie. I'm so glad that you. I finally carved out some time. We got you on the show. We've talked about doing this uh, for a little while. Um, if you could, could you introduce yourself to the audience real quick? So I'm a cosplayer, um, and, and this movie uh, that we're going to be talking about has uh, been really important to me in a cosplay sense, because um, I made a couple of the costumes from it, um, but it's also yes. been a, uh, a lifelong love of mine, and I'm also a massive fan of uh, the lead star of the movie as well, so um, it, it hits a lot of uh, bullet points for me. That's so awesome. And I'm going to brag on you for a moment, <laughs> Debbie. Your costumes are amazing. You guys have to check this out. I'm going to include her profile in the uh, in the show notes and also in on various social media platforms. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll be able to take a look at what she's done. It's very, very cool. Uh, for instance, like you said, you did a couple costumes from mm -hmm. the movie and then you've even done some costumes for a David Bowie cover yeah, band, right? Yeah, I did uh, recently. I did a replica of the Steve, Mc or Steve McQueen, the Alexander McQueen. Um, Union Jack coat is what it's called for David Bowie. So yeah, cool. So. I was watching you build that and it was just so yeah. awesome. I was like so yeah, excited. That was amazing. <laughs> just getting to see my friend wearing it on stage and prancing around and uh, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> 
Awesome. And uh, what movie are we discussing today? I can't remember. Did we already introduce yeah. that? No, we <laughs> haven't. And uh, if you haven't already figured that out, we are talking about Labyrinth. Nice, nice. That is exciting. Well, to start off, I wanted to ask you, like, when did you see this uh, movie? Did you see it in theaters or? And I'm pretty sure I didn't see it in the theaters. It wouldn't have been something in uh, my family's budget back then. But uh, um, it came out when I was 10. And I'm pretty sure I saw it as soon as it was out on VHS. Um, we were avid uh, borrowers of movies from the local library back then. So uh, we probably rented that movie uh, from the library a bazillion times. Um, and then as soon as it probably aired on TV or something, we recorded it on VHS and then wore that out and maybe eventually bought a tape. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, I don't have whatever my original copy of Labyrinth was if I owned one back then. I'm not even sure. Um, but in my adult years, I've bought every permutation of DVD, Blu-ray that has come out of it. And each of them has something different. Either there's some bonus you know, uh, pictures printed out included in the, the, the box set or there's extra bonus feature footage on it or what have you. So yeah, I've got all those, all the pop vinyls, the books, you name it, I have it. So <laughs> That is so cool. So I have to admit something to you. This is not a movie I grew up with a lot. Mm. Um, it was like this movie and The Dark Crystal, somehow I missed these. Like I watched, you know, Never Ending Story and like a lot of other uh, childhood staples, but for some reason, I never really saw this one. So I'm really glad that I have you on here to talk about this so that <laughs> I can lean heavily on your expertise. Um, because this is a movie that I think has kind of high stakes when people listen to it. Like they expect, you know, you to be a big fan because so many people are big fans of it. Um, yeah. I mean, this movie has such a, like such a following that there's even that masquerade ball every year, right? Mm -hmm. In, in LA. LA? Yeah, in LA. It's a, a big event. I think it sells out pretty quickly as well, the tickets for it, but it's like a two or three day event at a at a big hotel and it's costumes and jugglers and, you know, it's a full on legit Venetian masquerade and it's, uh, I, it's on my wish list to go to someday. Um, you know, I already go to LA once a year for, for Gallifrey one because I'm a good giant Whovian. So it's another reason to go to LA for another trip. <laughs> I think it is it called the Jareth Ball or what's it? Uh, the Jareth Masquerade or Masquerade oh, okay. Jareth or something something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen pictures of it because people I've known over the years have gone to it, and even not having that background with the movie, it just mm. the costumes. I can't stress enough are just so incredible looking. Which you know, understandable once you see this movie that it would have such a impact on people that that are drawn to that kind of thing um but yeah I, i've always known that this movie has a big following but i don't think i actually saw it until i was an adult probably like two or three years ago so <laughs> yeah so like last night re or not last night but a couple nights ago when i rewatched it this weekend um it was a definite refresher because because i've only seen it like one other time i you know, it was good to see it again and kind of look at it with uh, with new eyes. And I'm excited to talk about it, though. Yeah. Um, I probably. Okay. I was gonna say I've probably seen it a, a, at least a hundred times, and and then <laughs> in the theaters, it's had you know kind of a revival in the last. Oh yeah. Years where it's been in the theaters, you know, at, at Alamo or what have you, and I've gone to almost every single one of those, especially like the sing along events where they encourage the cosplayers to show up and. And uh, I have a, a baby doll, Toby, you know, that's 
nice life size infant <laughs> and that we will throw around the theater. So yeah, <laughs> I love that. I, I bet that's a really fun party to go yeah, to. <laughs> Yeah. Well, before I get uh, going into some of my quick facts, I'm going to read the synopsis really quick, which like this is one of the shorter ones that I have because I didn't want to give too much away about the movie because I kind of want us to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, basically, uh, here's a synopsis. It's a 16 year old girl is given 13 hours to solve a labyrinth and rescue her baby brother when her wish for him to be taken away is granted by the Goblin King. And that's in it in a nutshell. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I but mean, there's so, it's much, so much more than that, yeah. But yes, that's, that's the basics. That's the basics. Yeah, uh, I have a couple quick facts here, and then if you want to jump in with a couple too, we'll kind of we'll kind of just go back and forth. Um, the first one I have is that the movie is loosely based on The Outside Over There, a children's book written and illustrated by Morris Sendak in 1981. Uh, Sendak's famous book, Where the Wild Things Are, is seen at the start of the film in the bedroom. Uh, these two books and In the Night Kitchen compromise a loose trilogy of dreamlike books by Sendak. Uh, the story follows young Ida, who must enter the fantastical world described as Outside Over There, to, her, to find her babysitter, who's been spirited away by some goblins. Yeah. And uh, the the Maurice got kind of his seedling for inspiration was the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. So it's it's this oh. big twisted thing how all of this is connected. But yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's interesting. I also had that producer George Lucas chose not to do any interviews during the release of this film, so as to kind of like not steal Jim Henson's thunder, who was at the time one of his best friends until his death. Yeah. You kind of forget that really big connection that he has with Lucas because of like Star Wars, <laughs> you know? know. But it's it's interesting. Well, well, read me a couple of years. I want to hear your quick facts. Uh, let's see. So the choreography on this movie was done by Cheryl McFadden, who most of us know better as Gates McFadden. Who played, I was shocked by that. Who played Beverly Crusher on Next Generation Star Trek. That's so cool. So, uh, you see a lot of footage of her in like the behind the scenes footage that's on a lot of mm -hmm. the DVDs and Blu-rays out there. So uh, it's fun to, to watch her telling David Bowie how to dance. It's just mind boggling. <laughs> but yes. That is such an interesting connection. I, I actually saw that fact and I had to reread it to myself like three times. I was like, wait, who? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. uh, one of the other, if you're a big uh, Henson fan, you'll recognize another voice in the movie, and that's Kevin Clash, who uh, famously does the voice of Elmo. And he does uh, the voice of a couple of the Fireys, I believe, and he's helped puppet quite a few of the other uh, creatures in the movie as well, who fills in where needed kind of situation. But his voice, uh, is it, it pops out to me every time. I'm like, oh, there's Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I felt like I heard a few familiar, but I think some of them too were just yeah. Well, you, um, you get like you get Frank Oz and you get right the, and the usual like, and, and sometimes you're like, oh, that's the same voice as Animal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's see. Well, do you have a couple more that you wanted to? Oh, uh, yeah, I have a whole list yeah, of them. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Oh, uh, let's see. the The owl in the title sequence is the very first attempt at a photorealistic CGI animal character, um, and it was done by ILM, which we all know famously now for doing a lot of you know Star Wars and, and God knows what else movies. But that was their first attempt at uh, an animal and making the yeah. Video. 
It did. Uh, we just talked about ILM because we talked about Back to the Future Part Two Ooh. recently. But um, but yeah, uh, I actually was going to ask about that because I noticed that in the movie. But I I was honestly wondering if that was like added later. So that's really yeah, no, it, really it, interesting. It was original. It wasn't added just for the DVDs. They didn't do a a, re- a retcon thing or anything. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> and and over time, you know, you look at it. I rewatched it again several times over this past weekend, writing up my notes and stuff. And uh, it's yeah, it, yeah, it's it's slightly dated. It, it looks like it could have been made in Microsoft Paint or something. But it's it's still <laughs> it it looks pretty realistic in the movement of the wings, and it's believable, you know. And and yeah. when it transitions from being uh, there's a scene where it, it flies out the window and things like that. It, it the transition between the, the live animal or puppet or whatever it is they were using in the scene is is pretty seamless. I think I don't I didn't catch any uh, you know fishing line wires or anything like that happening. Oh, for sure. I mean, it looked good enough to where I thought they added it later. So mm-hmm. definitely, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, let's see something um, else on it. Uh, Hoggle, the 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 smaller uh, secondary main character in the the film, uh, mm-hmm. the original. Uh, bodysuit puppet let's say because it was a a person inside uh, the suit as well as the head being controlled by four different puppeteers uh, through radio that original costume ensemble was lost uh, on an airplane like in a lost baggage kind of situation and it 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 turned up uh, several I don't know how much longer later after it was lost but it turned up in the unclaimed baggage center in Scottsboro Alabama and it's on display in their museum. Like, you know, there's a whole museum for lost baggage and odd things that they've found. And that's in there. Um, if you look up pictures of this, um, be prepared for it to be fairly horrifying and not look anything like what you remember Hoggle looking like. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, what a surprise. They didn't take good care well, of it. The, the problem <laughs> baggage is, claim. Yeah, the problem is foam latex degrades over time. And that's what most of those puppets um, are made of. And it, it just crumbles. It's It turns to dust. So the, uh, the foam latex you know, wasn't being stored in an appropriate environment and nobody was maintaining it. And then I, I think somebody tried to do some fixes to it, but that just made it even worse. And it, it's, it's scary <laughs> looking if you Google them. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. I was going to say that, uh, I think when they designed that costume, they made it so like, uh, heavy mm-hmm. The Jim Henson had to be like, you need to remake it and actually make it a little lighter. Otherwise, people won't be able to operate this thing yeah, <laughs> and get inside was, of it. That was Ludo, the big giant one. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought it was a hog. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Hoggle's yeah. the little one. Ludo's the the giant one. But yeah, that's that's oh, true. Yeah. He did the first round was over a hundred pounds, so they he, Henson said, "Nope, try again. That's too much." Someone to walk around <laughs> in all day. Yeah, but that's crazy about uh, Hoggle being lost for a little bit. That must have been just terrible when they lost him. Like, well, oh my gosh. And for- after the movie was done, it was just yeah. boring, you know, kind of situation <laughs> would be my guess. But um, yeah, yeah, creepy. Uh, let's see. David Bowie did the voice for the baby in the song Magic Dings. So, that's so weird. <laughs> well, if, you, if you're really familiar with David Bowie's career, um, you'll know that back, uh, I forget what year now, but uh, I should have had this in my notes. Um, he did a song called The Laughing Gnome, where he kind of did that oh. chipmunk effect, uh, high pitch uh, gnome in the song. And so this okay. is not the first time he's done 
um, non-normal voice work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so because he apparently he brought uh, one of the backup singers brought their kid along and this kid was supposed to be the one they used in the song, but that kid did not want to talk that day. So uh, oh, oh, had <laughs> that to, happens. Had to man up and do it himself. So. <laughs> um, and there, speaking of that, there's uh, two music videos that uh, he did for that uh, was part of the movie soundtrack uh, and released, you know, to MTV or what have you. And uh, for Underground and As the World Falls Down, and those those music videos feature uh, additional footage of some of the the characters like Hoggle um, that is not seen in the movie. So it's a special footage oh. that they filmed just for his music videos. And that was, uh, I remember seeing those on TV when I was a kid, the, the music videos. And uh, uh, that was a, a lot of the after the fact promotion because when that movie when the movie came out in the theaters it did not do as anywhere near as well as they had hoped so the, yeah. the cult following that developed afterwards a lot of that can be attributed to Bowie's music videos for it and people seeking it oh. out after the fact because of that Right. That makes sense because especially back then, mm. you know, younger listeners may not remember this, but you couldn't always just see these movies all the time. No. Like even, you know, <laughs> so it's not like, exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like for, for it to be on TV a lot, unless they had like HBO or something, yeah. um, you know, seeing it through music videos, th that definitely makes sense. I think that's something that is not as big of an advertising get anymore. Like, it's not like music videos encourage people to see movies necessarily, but they, they used to. And I feel like that's why, you know, like when you think of movies mm -hmm. like, I don't know, Robin Hood or Batman yeah. or whatever. I, they I always was just going to suggest the, the Batman with the Prince soundtrack. Like, I bet that yeah. pulled more people to see that movie just because Prince did the soundtrack. Let's see. Do you want to tell a couple more or do you want to transition into like the... Um, well, we can talk about the casting choices and stuff. Okay. So Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the, the, the main actors next. Yeah. So David Bowie plays uh, Jareth the Goblin King and he's uh, in the king of the goblins in, at the center of the labyrinth. And um, the when they were casting for this, uh, some of the folks that Jim Henson interviewed or had in mind, I'm not sure if he actually, you know, sat down with all of these folks, but uh, according to our, our internet searches, he talked to Michael Jackson, Prince, Sting, and Mick Jagger were also uh, on the short list for this. Um, but uh, apparently Brian Henson and, and uh, other uh, folks around him suggested that Bowie had uh, the better acting chops and uh, ability to do it. Mm. And then Bowie had also been wanting to do a kid's film for his, uh, his older son, Duncan, um, and he liked the script and he, he wanted to do something a little light and funny. So this worked in his, uh, his wheelhouse as well. And uh, Henson approached him about writing songs for it. And he, like I mentioned earlier, he did uh, record some of those songs um, with a, a little bit of, you know, guidance as to here's kind of what those songs should be like. And uh, when he brought the songs to Henson, uh, Henson thought they were just going to be, you know, him singing at a piano, very kind of loose, you know, demo tracks. No, no, no. Bowie had already fully recorded them, brought in um, a uh, backup choir for Underground, which uh, also featured um, Shaka Khan and Luther Vandross sing backups. Wow. That song. <laughs> so he brought in these <laughs> fully recorded, uh, you know, studio recordings and uh, Henson wow. was just blown away. So he knew he'd, he'd picked the right guy. Um, you know, if, if he hadn't known by then, he knew that surely by then. 
Right. Well, out of that lineup you mentioned, you know, I could see sort of like, I could see an alternate universe where Michael Jackson was the Goblin oh, King. No, no. <laughs> like, I could imagine them have going in that direction. Yeah. Not saying it would be better. I just, I can imagine it. Um, and then with Prince, I feel like for a while, I mean, he was sort of trying his acting abilities and a lot of things like he was in like dune you know yeah. so so i can I, I see where they were going i think it's cool that they always had mine sort of like a rock star yes. yeah. or a pop star well, so that, that's interesting could sing, you know so i get right. it right um i think sting was the one of the front runners before bowie but yeah but uh that one i can kind of see i guess but um mm-hmm. he would have been a much more mellow and snarky kind of sneering i think yeah that's what i was about to say like like he always comes across as pretty mellow, yeah. and so it's kind of hard to imagine him as like a flamboyant goblin king. <laughs> right. I can't <laughs> imagine him doing the movie. magic dance. That just no. <laughs> he's like, I won't. <laughs> I <know>. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, let's see, Jennifer Conley. She was uh, fourteen at the time they filmed this. Oh my I god! Know. Really? I know. Could you imagine being a fourteen-year-old oh, girl and getting to be in a the- movie with David Bowie? Yeah, I would have. And looking like she does in this movie, yeah. like she does not look fourteen. I know. And, well, <laughs> no, thought, and that's part of the reason they picked her is that she could. Uh, she could. She was right on that line of being able to look young and innocent, but also you dress her up the right way, and she looks like a grown-up woman, right? So yeah, they, she definitely did. Yeah, they did a, a really good choice with her. I think uh, you know, there's some people who think her acting wasn't you know that great she's 14 at the time what do you what do you want i thought actually i i would push back on that i i thought it was very good i was impressed by it when i watched it because well jennifer connelly is one of those actresses i've always really liked and she does not age i think she started aging at 14 and then she's just (laughs) she stayed that age somehow she's like a vampire yeah (laughs) yeah yeah because um you know i i love her and like I mean, it's dark film, but Requiem for a Dream or yeah. uh, she was in Dark City, right? Yeah. Um, and I just think she's like so beautiful and just, I don't know. I've always thought she was a good actress. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm going to say no to that. I think she was great in this movie. So Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. The other people that they considered, though, this list is ridiculous. And apparently they spent... <laughs> It's long. It is long. And apparently they spent months <laughs> doing casting calls for various girls oh. of the right age. And uh, it wasn't until like the very end of it, they found Jennifer. And within a week, they she'd been offered the job. So like they uh. apparently she blew them away. But uh, so the, the list includes Helena Bonham Carter, Jane Krakowski, Yasmeen Bleeth, Sarah Jessica Parker, Mary Stuart Masterson, Laura Dern, <laughs> Maddie Corman, Carrie Green, Lily Taylor, Laura San Giacomo, and Ali Sheedy, and Mia Sarah, and Marissa Tomei. There you go. That's the full list that I have. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't imagine any of those. Like Helena Bonham Carter, that would have been a totally different movie. <laughs> yeah jessica parker or jane krakowski yeah it's that's crazy like i think that's probably why they spent so much time interviewing so many or auditioning so Mm -hmm. many women is because or children at the time (laughs) is because it's hard to embody both like yeah i i really think that jennifer Connolly's character in this movie is really interesting for like a lead female character Mm -hmm. uh during that time she's definitely like very nuanced and 
I think that actress would have to have that sort of awareness at that time, that experience. Yeah. So yeah. I can see why they went with it. Yeah. Movie. And I've, I've seen some of like the, they went on like talk shows, like the tonight show and some uh, international type circuit stuff where she went on stage, you know, or on set, whatever with uh, puppets and things like that and answered questions. And she, she sounds interviews exactly the same way she does now. She's just complete adult, even at 14 and probably more 15 when she's <laughs> in the publicity circuit. But yeah, she just, I, it's perfect. I think um, the closest one that I thought might have done been okay would have been Mia Sarah, but she, she got cast in legend and funny enough, uh, legend okay. was filming the exact same time as labyrinth in the studio next door to where they were filming Labyrinth. So crazy. So if you've seen Legend, the amount of glitter in that movie surpasses <laughs> the amount of glitter in Labyrinth, if that's even possible. So between those two <laughs> movies, I don't know how anybody got any glitter in England, because they filmed this all in England, how anybody in England was <laughs> able to buy any glitter while, this, the, while the two movies were being filmed, because they must have used it all, all of it. That's so interesting because I, I saw that fact about, you know, them mm -hmm. being filmed at the same time. I did not know that until, until I read that. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. And then uh, Brian Henson, uh, many years later, married Mia Sarah as well. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, they're married right today. They're married. That? So they, um, they I think they met, re, re, reacquainted themselves, whatever, got remarried uh, like in the early 2000s, I want to say. So it was many years later. Oh. But yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's a good little Easter egg. Yeah, they apparently <laughs> met back then, but you know, he um, she had married somebody else. I don't know. Whatever, mm. but, um, and then uh, the last casting choice I want to talk about was Toby Froud. So Toby uh, plays the baby in the movie, and his name mm -hmm. is Toby in the movie as well. So um, Toby is the the son of uh, Brian and Wendy Froud, who are the creators uh concepts co-creators whatever of the whole labyrinth concept so um oh, wow. brian and uh jim were in a famous and brian uh uh Froud likes to tell the story they were left in a from some event from um dark crystal in a limousine together and jim was like okay what do we want to do next and uh brian had uh, been working on all these goblin drawings lately so he said goblins and uh and it kind of snowballed from there. But uh, he had done a preliminary artwork for Labyrinth once the, the ball got rolling on that. And he did this painting of a baby, uh, a very happy baby, surrounded by a whole bunch of goblins. And at this point, uh, Toby wasn't even uh, conceived. So when, when Toby was wow. born about two years later, uh, he ended up looking just like the baby in this painting that his father had done. So... How interesting. Yeah, and then uh, now uh, Toby's, you know, in his 30s or what have you, and he uh, he works in the puppet industry as well. He uh, lives in Portland, and he works for Leica Studios, so he's, he's worked on oh, the Box cool. Trolls movie, among other things. So, And I believe he's involved in the Dark Crystal, the new Dark Crystal project on Netflix. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's coming out pretty soon, yeah, right? Yeah, so, but he goes to the Labyrinth yeah. Ball, I believe, Very almost cool. every year, and you see him out and about, but uh, I would totally recognize him if I ran into him on the street. I don't know that anybody else would, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a follower of his. So. <laughs> that's really cool. I, I'm glad that he kind of stayed within the family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So um, let's dive into the show or into the movie. I'm sorry, rather. Um, 
do you want to talk about some of your favorite scenes? Oh gosh. Um, obviously the, the magic dance scene, um, just, you know, singing and dancing Bowie with a baby and a bunch of puppets around. I mean, come on. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. Um, and then, uh, beyond that, any scene that Bowie's in, um, but you know, the rest <laughs> of the movie's good too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, if you if you go to see this in a theater uh, in a big screen kind of situation, um, the we have we're gonna have to talk about it. There's no avoiding it. The Bowie crotch um, <laughs> because is it is prominently displayed yes, and on a big screen even more so. And every time the scenes, there's certain scenes where it's like a close up of Hoggle, but Bowie's crotch is on the other half of the screen. Um, everybody in the audience audience is sniggering. It's <laughs> it's unavoidable um but yeah so the it's speaking of the, the the crotch the costume um that was done intentionally um it's uh they were stretching the boundaries of talking a you know it, it, talking in a roundabout sense about uh teenage girls sexuality and her awakening and um there's lots of references in his costume to you know, danger and, you know, as he's kind of a leather boy and there's armor and on some of the costumes. And then um, the the tights are supposed to be in reference to uh, male ballet dancers and just mm -hmm. all the teenage girl fantasy stuff. And that's all intentional. So that's interesting. And, you know, I've noticed, um, you know, there's a lot of fans of this movie, but I would say most of them are, are, are female fans. Mm -hmm. And, so I feel like that was pretty, you know, uh, effective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, it was. <laughs> uh, um, and it's interesting because I felt like watching this and maybe maybe this is just my interpretation, but mm -hmm. well, I think it's a little bit intentional. Like in the beginning of the movie, she um, she's at pl she's playing fantasy like she's outside. She's wearing a dress and you almost think that you're in the middle of the movie or mm -hmm. something like, oh, maybe they're going to explain this later. But no, she's actually just, you know, pretending. Yeah. And then her mother's like, get in here and like you never go out anywhere. You just stay in all day reading books and fantasizing. And so like the whole thing, even though like I, I do feel like they're kind of implying it happened, there's enough clues in the movie that also it could just be all in her imagination. Yeah. So that kind of fits with like the fantasy aspect oh, yeah. of it. Like all the stuff in her room sort of influences how all the creatures look and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool. You can sort of interpret it in a couple different ways. Yeah. And I like that about if, the movie. If you play really close attention to the scenes that are in her bedroom, yeah, there's so many little Easter eggs just floating around that room. Everything from uh, Sir Didymus and the dog and uh, there's a little um, uh, wind-up music box with a ballerina in the middle of it that is totally her ball uh, ball gown uh, scene outfit. Uh, yeah. um, there's around the edge of her mirror there's little news clippings and pictures and Bowie's in one of them. Uh, <laughs> just you know all these these fun little nuggets that you know if somebody like me who can sit there and pause the movie and be like oh that's that and that's that and uh, Marie Sendak's books show up uh, in it, as well does uh, The Wizard of Oz. There's, um, I wouldn't be surprised, I can't remember, but I, I want to say Alice in Wonderland is featured in there somewhere as well. Yeah, um, no, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of little, little mind bombs just waiting for you to find uh, in that scene. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, back to the Remind Me of the Babe uh, being my one of my favorite scenes. 
the big very beginning of that song the you know you remind me of the babe what babe babe with the power that whole exchange is completely lifted from a Cary Grant and Shirley Temple movie from 1947 called The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. Wow, I had no idea. I would not have picked yeah, up on that. That's I, I've cool. never seen the movie. I've seen the the clip of that scene and I'm like, "Oh my mm-hmm. god." Like <laughs> but it's you know, the only people that would have picked that up, uh, you know, when the f- movie first came out or watched it or, you know, the, the p- grandparents of the, the people taking their kids to the movies kind of thing. So it's it's on my mm-hmm. list of someday I'll watch that movie. I just haven't got there yet. But um, So weirdly, as a kid, I saw a lot of Shirley Temple movies mm-hmm. and I don't know why or how yeah. I got exposed to them, but I, I watched them as though... Like they were contemporary yeah. almost. And then when I got older, I started telling people I'd seen them. And a lot of people are like, I never watched those. Like Nick was like, what? I don't even really understand who she is or what her thing yeah. is. And I was like, basically she had a lot of curly hair and she tap danced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't remember anything else. So I, I would definitely go back and watch the, that one. That's This that's is really one that she did as a teenager. So there's not apparently that many oh. teen movies. So, but yeah, I watched no, a lot of her yeah. younger ones. Because as a kid, I looked just like Shirley Temple. I was kind of annoying. How many Aww. people told me I looked like <laughs> Shirley Temple? But um, uh, yeah, so I watched quite a few of uh, uh, Heidi. I must have seen a hundred times. But um, <laughs> oh yeah, I yeah. remember that one. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, Shirley Temple and Cary Grant are the originators of so that interchange. So. I wonder if that's sort of like a meta moment of like you know Shirley Temple had trouble transitioning mm. out of her child oh. roles and in this movie is kind of about growing yeah. up and so maybe it was sort of a weird reference I, to that I maybe don't I don't I don't I think we're probably making it more meta than it really is but <laughs> I just yeah, want to right but I, who knows who knows um I'm curious how yeah. like who decided to use that line because I'm sure that they were aware that that like it was intentionally lifted but um, yeah. I'm curious if that was a Bowie choice or if that was, a, you know, Terry Jones or Henson or where where that came from. But probably Terry. Yeah, that yeah, sounds that... like a Terry thing. <laughs> well, that's cool. I uh, I had a quick question. I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but what is your take on like the parents and her relationship with the parents? Because maybe this is like just a different time but when I was watching it recently I was like I get that she's a teenager and she's kind of expected to babysit sometimes but I felt like they were being a little unfair to her too Mm -hmm. like it's okay for her to want to have her own free time to herself but maybe this because I don't have siblings (laughs) I don't know yeah well (laughs) as an older sister myself um only two year difference though so I can't say I ever had to babysit my brother because by the time I was old enough he was old enough to be left alone um (laughs) uh the uh yeah i mean the mom does say that you know i wish you would go out on dates you know and and, and tell That's me true. that you know that. you can't babysit because of that that would be great but um the the thing that i find annoying is the whole father daughter relationship because the the father says to uh the stepmother, you know, as they're trying to get ready to go leave, he says, oh, I'll go talk to her. And then he just tells her, you know, we'll be home around midnight. And she's like, oh, you really wanted to talk to me, didn't you? You know, he, he just kind of doesn't, yeah. he doesn't even try to, you know, appease her or, you know, comfort her or what have you. He's just, you know, like, uh, okay, we'll see you later. <laughs> 
Plus, they should be happy their kid's a nerd. Like, yeah. she's well-read. She is interesting. Yeah. I always took the, the scene, the very beginning scene where she's in the park reading the lines, that she was kind of rehearsing for a play or something. So I, she had yeah. theatrical aspirations and, you know, she had... They should be nurturing yes, that about exactly. her, I think. Nope. <laughs> yeah, nope. Well, uh, what was another favorite scene of yours from the, from the um, movie? Gosh, the the door knockers. I like that part. Yeah, yeah. that was interesting. Yeah. There's lots of little <laughs> funny nuggets throughout it, um, and I even just this weekend, although I've seen it a hundred times, I still laughed at some of the jokes out loud. Um, even though I knew exactly what was coming, I'm one of those people that gets to sit there and recite <laughs> the movie, the whole thing, without you know needing. Uh, subtitles or anything (laughs) (laughs) well there's so much clever stuff just like visually and and just in the script as well in the movie that i really appreciated uh when i rewatched it this time yeah the there's lots of little artistic nods like uh bowie's face is hidden in a lot of the scenes like some of the rocks rock formations and stuff as the camera pans it'll looks just just like some rocks and then all of a sudden it forms into bowie's face and then it moves on and now we're back to just a pile of rocks or um, uh, the Escher kind of, uh, you know, s- see the stairway. Yes. Yeah, that stood out to me. Yeah. I thought that I was like, that seemed very influenced by that artist. And then when I read that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I definitely see that. <laughs> yeah. As, as a kid, you know, I obviously I loved it for musical reasons and just fantastical kid reasons, right? But um now as an adult one of the things that i love watching it about it especially like the behind the scenes stuff is um as a cosplayer like new appreciation for how did they even do this stuff and we're talking oh yeah is, you know 1985 when they were filming this it came out in 86 but uh just the costuming and you know I, i'm guilty of this today i'll i, I just watched like the favorite recently and i spent a lot of time just staring at the costumes and not paying attention <laughs> to the movie. But in, in this one, you know, I'll be looking at the puppets and like, Oh, how could I, how can I cosplay that guy? And <laughs> would even anybody recognize me or what have you? Oh, but definitely. Uh, <laughs> they definitely, I feel like it's a very costumer heavy yes. movie. Like people that yeah. make and create costumes and props love this kind of stuff i mean it just felt like the whole movie is like a playground for that so yeah yeah i keep looking at uh, sir didymus's outfit and trying to figure out could i pull that off or would (laughs) i have to make it for somebody else (laughs) that's so cool (laughs) yeah i um I, I was going to say, like, when you were talking about that, that scene with the face and the, and the stone and, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, when they move, it, you could see the face. Um, I, I also like the scene with all the, like, hands mm-hmm. where th- yeah. they're making all those different faces. I thought that was so creative and interesting. Something that I feel like as a kid, I probably wouldn't have noticed. But as an adult, you're like, oh, wow, that's like very creative. How did they do that? Yeah, they they mm-hmm. actually built a, a vertical tunnel, you know, all but uh, one side of it so they could film it um, and uh, had 300 rubber hands attached to the, the side of this. I forget, I want to say it was like 30 foot tall section of tunnel. And they had Jennifer on rigging and, you know, raising and lowering her within it. Wow. And uh, um, I don't know how many puppeteers at any one given time they had in it, but uh, people sticking their hands through the their hands inside the hands to make the faces and do all of that. But it's, uh, 
I, I think they said that they spent two days just filming that scene because wow, hand movements, you know, close-ups on the hands and shots of her falling and, you know, catching them catching her and various uh, speeds and things like that. So Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, I, I just thought it looked so interesting. And I didn't pick up on that they weren't just people's hands painted green, that they yeah. were actually like, puppet hands that they put their hands in that's really that's really yeah. interesting yeah it was uh one of the women puppeteers uh it was a cast of her hand that they had you oh. know added a bunch of crap to but and then cast it but uh yeah it was it was one person's hands over and over again 300 times oh okay okay wow that's really cool yeah I, there's so many cool things like that in this movie like there's a lot that happens in this movie. <laughs> when I was rewatching it, I was like, yeah. "Wow, there's, there's so many different scenes and so many different things she has to go through." Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, was there another one that you wanted to? Uh... Oh gosh. Um, favorite scenes. The probably well, I wouldn't say favorite, but one of probably my least favorite scenes is the fire race. Oh yeah, the, yeah. the orange guys dancing around and taking their heads off. I mean, it, it was cool, <laughs> but it, I, even I, as you know, eleven-year-old me, is like, that's green screened. <laughs> yeah, and is, is that the part where they're singing that song? Yeah, yeah, the, that's like the weakest song too. Yeah, do you, do you think like you're just yeah. like I? When we were watching this the other night, I looked at Nick and I was like, I feel like I never hear this song. <laughs> no, 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 no. If I'm listening to the soundtrack, I tend to skip over that one. Yeah, chilly down <laughs> yeah. is the song. Yeah, it is definitely probably the weakest part of the movie, but I mean, it, it's fine. It's just yeah, it's not as good as the other songs. Yeah, for sure. I, I could have done without that in the movie and it would have been fine but you know i get why they kept it um you know they needed more stuff in it or something i don't know (laughs) whatever uh, reason there was yeah um do you want to talk a little bit about the ball that kind of inspired the yeah uh, yeah so um uh hoggle and uh gets a peach from jareth a poisoned peach that he's uh, supposed to give to um uh, Jennifer's character, Sarah, and uh, when she does eat it, um, it makes her pass out, hallucinate, uh, have a dream, what, however you want to interpret it. Um, and in this dream sequence, she's uh, at a ball in a uh, fabulous white gown, looking a lot like uh, Princess Diana's wedding dress. Wow! And <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of eighties in this movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, she doesn't recognize Henry. She's very confused, wandering around. And uh, you see Bowie in the background watching her. And he's in a, another fantastical outfit, uh, this um, blue frock coat uh, covered in gems and glitter and more glitter. And <laughs> uh, eventually <laughs> he sweeps her off her feet and dances with her. Um, but uh, she quickly realizes that there's no way that this can be real. And she she grabs a chair and uh, smashes a mirror, thinking that she can get through the mirror once it crashes. But it it turns out that she was inside of a a glass bubble kind of thing. And so everything just completely falls apart and she ends up uh, falling onto chunks of scenery (laughs) Um, (laughs) with leftovers from the the MC Escher kind of uh, set and uh, having the final battle scene with Jareth right after that so 
Very cool. Yeah, I I like when I whenever I see that part of the movie, I'm like, this is where the whole masquerade came from. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah, one that, scene. I know it's like not even probably two minutes long, and every every teenage girl has built that into the fantasy for their wedding or going to a ball or what you know they spun it into something much grander than it is in the movie. But yeah, oh for sure. Like not having when the first time I saw the movie, I was surprised at how fast that part was. I think I had in my mind that like that ball was like half the movie or something yeah. <laughs> just because people like it so much but yeah it, it's an interesting scene and she looks yeah it, it's amazing that she can look 14 which you know she is in the movie mm-hmm. but she looks like 25 here I mean looks right? totally totally yeah. different so yeah. yeah yeah so the the uh, ball gown outfits are I believe still on display in a museum in Seattle if you want to oh cool them. They are inside a giant glass music box kind of contraption, spinning around together, facing each other um, on mannequins and uh, playing uh, the orchestral as the world falls down music in that room all day long. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) They're in the ballroom scene forevermore. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, you said you made a couple costumes from this yes. movie. Is one of them from this scene? Or? Yes. The, so okay, okay. Uh, I made the, the white uh, dress and the, the, the blue okay. Jareth outfit from that scene. Oh, wow. So, so both the outfits from yes. the scene specifically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. cool. So I need and to I, check those out. Yeah. I, I did those for, I want to say the 2016 Dallas. Back, back in those days, it was Dallas Comic Con or whatever, but now Dallas Fan Days. Um, okay. The October event. And, cool. uh, I bet I saw you and I just didn't know. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the entire internet saw us, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, we uh, we competed in one uh, best in show. And as part of our performance, we we I had I'd mixed some audio that I ripped from the movie and I got to say the you have no power over me line. And we had uh, a friend of ours uh, pretending to be Toby in a in a red and white striped pajama onesie running around on stage. But, <laughs> and um yeah, we danced on stage and all that fun stuff. So yeah, it was That's definitely so cool. a, a big lifelong kind of fantasy come to a true kind of thing. So That's really James, cool. Yeah, my friend James was uh, the one dressed as Jareth and uh, Jamie was our Toby. And uh, yeah, it was so much fun. James gets uh, wears his costume pretty frequently still. Um, <laughs> any, you know, showings of Labyrinth or, you know, just to cons in general um we if if i'm wearing the ball gown with him uh we can't move in in a convention we're just oh i'm sure we are and people are just constantly taking our pictures so yeah i mean this is a like i said it's a very popular movie particularly about among the cosplay crowd yes say. yeah it's, it's it's because the costumes are so cool yeah any cosplayers that do big puffy gowns as a, as i call it they this is typically <laughs> on their list of i want to do a sarah gown someday <laughs> Let's see. Uh, well, do you want to talk about sort of like the end fight scene? Uh, when she tells him he has no power over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you kind of already touched on that, but yeah. up to you. Yeah. Um, how about the, the very end of the movie? Okay. Um, when she's back in her room and all of a sudden uh, all of the, the puppets show up. And, oh, uh, yeah, I love that part. And, you know, <laughs> if you ever need us, you know, so it, it's kind of a uh little cheesy but you know it's cute and it may and it's a good way to close it out um i know that there was some uh folks in the production of the movie that thought it was too much over the top whatever and 
could have had a different ending, but um, uh, I thought it was sweet. No, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked that because it kind of, I don't know, it's so heavy sort of yeah. at the end and then it kind of it kind of brings it back a little bit. I mean, yeah. because there's a lot of like, even though there's some serious stuff that happens in the movie, I feel like there's enough of it where it's like fun because there are puppets and there's music and, you know, so I feel like you kind of sort of need a little finisher like that. Yeah. And it ends it on a nice upbeat note and goes straight into the underground song on the credits. So it's, it, it transitions well. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, yeah. Like the whole, the story of the movie sort of reminds me of a little bit of like, um, Wendy from Peter Pan almost mm-hmm. like you know there's it's sort of like a coming of age and, and like and like Alice in Wonderland too uh but it's you know her sort of transitioning into being more mature being you know closer to womanhood and uh I think I think that's yeah. it's done really well and yeah. from her perspective yeah there's a lot of good lessons in it like being careful what you wish for you know they may yeah. actually steal your bro- baby brother away um yeah because she like literally said that she's like i just wish he'd like go away and yeah then he does and she spends the entire movie trying to get him back yeah. so yeah, yeah it's a good lesson for her <laughs> and then uh things are not always what they seem um sometimes yep. the the right choice uh, still gives you uh, a bad outcome you know you can make mm-hmm. all the right and right choices but things can still not go well um the importance of friends and teamwork to get through situations um, yeah because i guess like they sort of address that you know she doesn't have stuff to do which i guess also implies she doesn't have a lot of friends mm-hmm. And then in the movie, it seems like she's constantly having to rely on someone close to her that she trusts to help her get to the next, like, level, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And she also is very – like, I like about her that she is confident and she believes she's got the right answers. But at the same time, um, I think, you know, the movie's sort of showing she needs to be, like, a little bit humble and and work with other people instead of just charging off with her own ideas all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's also something to be said, I think, for um, not letting your imagination and creativity kind of die. Um, yeah. Like, you know, don't don't let go of your inner child at the same time as growing up, if, if that's possible. It's a balance. But yeah, I'm sure Jim Hansen believed that wholeheartedly oh, just absolutely. given his career. Yeah. 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 Because this was it was like the last movie he directed, right? Uh, yeah, it was the last one he directed, um, and I think part of that was because of the, the box office failure of it. Um, it cost them $25 million to make, and it only brought in 12 something Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah, so he apparently went through a pretty big depression after this, and uh, but luckily the, the cult following had uh, already kind of started, and, you know, everybody uh, was buying the VHS and all that kind of stuff of it. Um, before he died in 1990 so luckily he had he'd got some vindication years later but uh yeah at the time he was not happy at all so yeah i mean like this movie and like the dark crystal like these are pretty big risk takers i mean the the scope of them and you know how much it must have like you said the budget was kind of big and uh and you know just all it was so different from what he did before and he kind of always wanted to lean this way right like I think he sort of ended up doing puppetry but he wanted to do more like animation and then this is what took off but he kind of always wanted it to be he liked doing stuff like this you know he Mm -hmm. got popular from doing like Sesame Street um, but he always leaned more towards making it like a little bit more adult I think and so 
you know, these were the kind of projects that he really loved. And I think maybe back then, you know, people just kind of almost weren't ready for it yet until they had time, I guess, to digest it. Maybe that's why it did a little bit better on, on video. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. what keeps you coming back to this movie? Why do you think you've seen it so many times? A hundred times, you said. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not counting, but yeah, probably. That's <laughs> yeah. probably accurate. Um, well, n- number one reason is David Bowie. Uh, just, uh-huh. I'm a huge freaking fan of his. Like, uh, you know, when he died, uh, probably 50 people came out of the woodwork, either texting or messaging me. Are you okay? Uh, that kind of situation. So if that gives you any indication of how big a fan I am. I had to take the day off work the whole nine years. But anyways, um, so uh, when I saw this, you know, I didn't, I was 10. I didn't know who David Bowie was. But uh, a few years later, um, when I was more of a prepubescent teenage girl, um, I realized that, oh my God, he's he's a rock star. And uh, that's when my, my, uh, my David Bowie love kind of fed into it and then it's just a feedback loop after that on the labyrinth thing but uh um it it, it just the amount of uh of artistry that he brings to everything whether it's in Mm -hmm. albums or movies what have you um he he was such a multifaceted actor that uh and musician and you know artist in general he painted he did everything so um this kind of is a little bit of uh, almost all those kind of areas. So it was, yeah, it's a nice little trifecta for him. Um, and then uh, uh, other reasons I come back to it, just, you know, reliving my childhood. Uh, the other day, somebody asked on Facebook, what movies do you tend to watch when you're sick? This is definitely up there. Um, I tend to watch movies Aww. from my childhood. This is definitely at the top of that list. Um, oh, for sure. And uh, I, I, yeah, any labyrinth type things, um always going to them uh, a few years ago there was a um, an exhibit of puppets and props and things like that at the center for puppetry arts in atlanta and i happened to be going to atlanta for a business trip so i fit that into my schedule and um the uh the very end like it was a separate part of the museum you know how they do with special ex- exhibitions and stuff and you walked in and you were immediately in the the labyrinth uh uh walls you know so to speak as you walked into it and they had recreated walls because they you know they tore the sets down that stuff doesn't exist but they recreated the walls and the lighting and everything and there was perfect and there was just glitter freaking everywhere and yeah I I, yeah I got weepy when I walked in there that was the you know right out of the gate boom hit me with the walls wow um but yeah they had a ton of the, the the puppets there. They had a couple of the Bowie costumes, um, like the the red and black one from the Escher scene, and uh, some of the stuff from kind of the big feathery gray outfit that he had. Um, all there. So. Yeah. That, well, I like that answer. You know, it's not. You know, the movie doesn't have like a complicated plot or no. like it's pretty straightforward. And I think the big appeal to the movie is um, what you already mentioned, a lot of the costumes, David Bowie himself, Mm. and just the nostalgia of that time. And it's kind of cool. In a way, I'm kind of happy that I saw it as an adult because I get all that sort of perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And it's just fun to visit this movie through the eyes of people that really love it. 
So, um, yeah, I definitely like the more you talk about these events with Labyrinth, like it definitely makes me want to go to one next time. (laughs) Whereas before I always felt like kind of an outsider, like people would go like, like that ball that people go into in LA every year or other events. I always see my Facebook like light up with people saying that they're going to things like this. And I'm always kind of like, oh, I don't really know a lot about that movie. I don't know, you know, what the appeal is. Like, I don't really understand it. And I feel like after seeing it a couple times and talking to fans about it, like it, it definitely makes sense to me why it's had the longevity it has. I think in a way it not doing well at the box office, you know, it makes sense, but at the same time, it's, you know, movies like this that take really big risks and are really interesting. I feel like they end up having that longevity that some other movies that maybe just cater towards, you know, what people liked at the time might not have. So yeah, absolutely. You know. It's definitely uh, visionary and, you know, uh, ahead of its time in, in some aspects, but yeah, it's also dated, you know, it, it feels very, <laughs> yeah, there's no getting around it when you watch it. You're like, yeah, this was made in the eighties, but, uh, <laughs> but that makes it cool. Yeah, I think <laughs> it does in some ways. Now, now did you immediately like it or did you find it cheesy, corny? Like, Oh my God, what am I being forced to watch? Why is there so much glitter? You know, were you one of those people at all? Well, you know, okay, so the first time I watched it, I don't think I was paying enough attention. I think it was like on Netflix and it was free. And so I just kind of had it on in the background and I was kind of like not as invested. I was like, "Mm, I don't know, like what's, you know, I never thought that it was corny because I felt like it is a kid's movie. So like it's going to have that aspect to it. Like I loved like, you know, never ending story and things like that. So, I mean, I think. I was okay with the aesthetics of it, but I don't think I was as invested in it. Whereas like when we sit down to talk about it, because I knew we, you and I were going to discuss it, I felt like I had to really try to sit down and get in the mindset of like, why do people love this? Like, what is it about this movie <laughs> that people cling to so much? And so I think, you know, rewatching it uh, with more of an open mind helped me see that a little bit better. Um, but I, I do feel like there's two camps of people a little bit where some people are like, I don't get why people like this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I feel like it is a movie that more, I, I keep saying it, but like it, it's more aimed at like girls and what girls want to see in a movie. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think it gets kind of like unfairly judged for that reason, if that makes sense. Like yep. when you and I were talking about it, we talked a lot about the songs, about the costumes and things like that. We didn't sit down and dissect like, where did the goblins come from? And, you know, like, what is the goblin lore? Like some of that stuff just feels secondary. So I think like, it depends on what you're expecting out of the movie. But if you want to go look on the internet, there is a lot of fan fiction about the, (laughs) and not even their due diligence. Yeah. Not even of the, the sexual variety, just all kinds of like theories about how did Jareth become the goblin King? And is this kind of a, like in, um, princess bride kind of a, an assigned title you know yeah or, and then have there been other sarahs and other tobies and yeah there's a oh, lot of good questions there's a lot of uh great rabbit holes you can fall down just related to those movies there's also um they did a comic book series around it oh cool um yeah so there's a, a lot of uh other additional ancillary work surrounding it as well so so have you gotten feedback from people that are like, that was corny and dated? Is that why you said <laughs> I've had a few people, a few friends that have uh, live, live streamed, texted me, whatever, their thoughts as they're watching it. It's always like, oh my God, so much glitter. Uh- <laughs> I 
feel like that's a plus. But again, maybe yeah. I'm approaching it from a cosplayer perspective. Yeah. But then, and then at, a, at a second, you know, kind of a secondary look at that, I'm, I always tell them, okay, now go watch Legend and tell me if you still think Labyrinth had too much glitter. So. <laughs> yeah, you keep saying the glitter. And, you know, I didn't get that sense. I'm going to have to go back and yeah, watch this again. The wall. And, the and do like a glitter watch. Yeah, the wall, <laughs> the trees, Bowie, everything is, there's just glitter everywhere. Like that's awesome. The entire crew <laughs> must have gone home with glitter on them every day. <laughs> well, this kind of leads into my next question a little bit. What What do you say to someone? How do you prepare your friends before they live stream to you their thoughts? <laughs> um, it's a kids' movie. Be prepared for some corny yeah. jokes. You know, uh, lots of glitter, of course. And uh, but it's so worth it, just because Bowie and Henson. So you know, if you're even re- if you grew up with Sesame Street or The Muppet Show or any of that kind of stuff, um, you can't not love it. I it's, I, I find that completely impossible. I defy anybody to not <laughs> love this movie. Yeah, yeah. I would say like if you have an appreciation for like you're mentioning like puppetry mm-hmm. and if you like fantasy and if you like costumes and I think it being so dated is a strength of the movie, mm-hmm. honestly, like the fact that we have David Bowie in it, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's kind of, it's cool. It's locked in a time and it's fantasy, but I think that that's, that's what's good about it. So yeah, yeah that would be my pitch and, and my appreciation for it has definitely grown since I first saw it. So oh, good. Yeah. 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 You, you won me over. I'm converted now. <laughs> now go, now I can give you a whole list of other David Bowie movies to go watch. Ooh. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Excellent. You, people are surprised that uh, he did as much acting as he did, you know, if they're just like, uh, yeah. yeah, he's, he's done a ton of movies. Oh, that's cool. Well, uh, Debbie, where can people find you and see your costumes and all that good stuff? Uh, the best place is on Facebook, uh, on my Facebook page for my cosplay. And it's Red Stone Dreamery. Uh, three words. Red Stone Dreamery. That's the best place. Cool. Yeah, you guys have to check it out. I love your, like, Queen Elizabeth costumes. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing a lot of queens lately. I'm, I'm uh, working. <laughs> I just finished making a Queen Victoria from uh, Doctor Who specifically oh nice um and i'm wearing that at gallifrey one in a couple weeks so oh oh that's in a couple weeks yeah. i didn't even realize well, that so wow, when, when does this uh will this air uh this will pro- i'll probably put this out on uh, e- either friday or saturday okay so, so by the time this comes out uh next week <laughs> yeah cool well thank you so much and uh and have a good one 